0: hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the homecoming podcast homecoming is a platform that provides the space for asians asian americans and mixed heritage asians of all backgrounds to share their stories experiences and insights about a variety of different topics everything from affirmative action to transracial adoption to diversity in pageantry I'm your host, Angel Reena, and if you haven't checked us out before, I definitely encourage you to go listen to Homecoming's previous episodes and subscribe to us and give us those five stars on iTunes if you have a chance. So in today's episode, I am joined by Sydney G, who graduated from UC Berkeley in 2017, is currently an international customer service assistant at the Berkeley International Office, and overall is a very cool person with a ton of thoughts and experiences that I think are incredibly relevant to a lot of Asian Americans out there and today sydney is going to share some of their experiences growing up in their hometown and talk about mental health their queer and trans identities invisible disabilities and education equity among other topics so we've definitely got a lot of issues on the docket so sydney welcome to the podcast thank you so much for joining me on homecoming today um, first things first, would you be able to introduce yourself to the listeners? Um, you can say things like your name, pronouns, where you live, slash where you're from, your job, ethnic background, really whatever you want to share with the listeners.
1: Yeah, I'm glad to be on it. Um, I'm Sydney. My pronouns are they, them. I am 24 and I live in Berkeley, California, but I grew up mostly in Cupertino, California, and i currently work doing a combination of customer service and admin assistant duties for the department of uc berkeley that handles visa and immigration related advising for international students and scholars and um, it's also the same university that i went to and so i studied psychology with a focus in clinical psych but um, definitely have a lot of thoughts and criticism of that field and consider myself more of a just social sciences person at heart.
0: Mm -hmm. Amazing. Thank you so much, Sydney. Yeah. Again, I'm just so glad that you filled out the homecoming guest survey way back when. And, you know, after we talked, um, during our pre recording meeting around a month ago, like I just knew from that, that you had so many stories to share. um, Yeah, so I am overall just super ready to chat with you, have a conversation, um, and learn more about you and your history and everything you have to offer. So first question for you, Sydney, can you first talk a little bit about your parents' immigration story and how you got your roots started in Cupertino, California? And overall, how do you feel like your parents and the city of Cupertino, have shaped you as a person? Yeah, Uh,
1: my parents are both from Shanghai, China, originally, and they spent probably the first good first half of their lives there. But uh, eventually, at some point, my dad had gotten the opportunity to go to Australia, and I believe that was as part of a student visa, so he was supposed to just be there to take english classes at a language learning school but actually um in reality he didn't have enough money to be able to just go to school and so uh even though it was a student visa really he was actually just there to work um and had made arrangements with the uh, teacher at the school he was supposed to attend to basically like mark him as having attended even though he was actually just spending his days and nights working blue collar um, jobs in like manufacturing or other physical labor at that time. And he spent a while in like a suburb of Sydney, Australia at the time. But uh, my mom and him had already met prior to that in Shanghai because they worked in, I think, probably the same workplace. Uh, both of them had studied STEM fields. Like my mom was a physics major and my dad was electrical engineering. And that was largely because at the time in China, you couldn't actually choose what major you wanted to study if you were among those who were had the opportunity to go to college. So they were placed in those majors based on test scores. Um, and after spending a little while in Sydney and my dad, ended up actually leaving. Um, And around that same time, my mom had gotten admitted to grad school in the US. And I'm not sure how my parents came across this school, but um, it was North Dakota State University. And so my mom was going to go do her master's there. And my dad originally was going to be brought as her dependent under her F1 visa. But uh, he also got admitted to the program and so was became an F-1 international student in his own right. So they were both living there for the two years or so that it took to finish that master's. And at that time, my parents were still very poor and were just working what on-campus jobs they could legally do through their visa status. So that in- included both stuff, stuff like working in the cafeteria and doing like gardening or landscaping, but also, um, I think they also obtained more like teacher assistant or grader positions and working in a computer lab as well. And at that time, there were not so many international students compared to today. Um, They still did meet some other students from China. And they were, they actually heard from some of them that uh, there were supposed to be more job opportunities that were coming up in what is now the Silicon Valley in California. So after graduating, they decided to go there to see if they could find more jobs um, as opposed to staying in North Dakota, which was just incredibly rural and in, in comparison. So um, they moved here, but they didn't uh, have like, they weren't immediately able to find jobs in today's tech companies. Uh, they started out still just seeking what employment they could get, which was, I think, challenging, because even though they were, like, very highly educated in in traditional credentials, but um, they started out only being able to get, like, jobs for AT&T, doing customer service to um, Chinese-speaking customers, and eventually kind of through just trying to move upward, I guess, of, like, they kept applying to other jobs and sort of gradually were able to over maybe a couple of years, um, get into more like hardware engineer jobs in major tech companies. And I know that um, now looking back that my parents did have some more flexibility in terms of what kind of jobs they could take after they graduated, because uh, the Chinese Student Protection Act got passed by US Congress. And so this covered um, just a certain time period of years that any People from who left China during that period and came to the U.S. were essentially given a pretty fast and smooth option to be able to become permanent residents and then eventually U.S. citizens. So um, if it were not for that, I think my parents would have had to go more, what is more common for international students, which might be like being on an F1 visa and then getting OPT for um, work authorization after they graduated, and then from there either hopefully maybe working for a company that's willing to sponsor H-1B applications, or perhaps just doing like OPT STEM extension, and then through that, buying them a little extra time, but it would have meant that they would have needed to only work in jobs that were directly related to their field. So it definitely wouldn't have been an option for them to just do customer service for AT&T based on their majors. Uh, But because of this act, even though my parents actually had nothing to do with the Events that caused this act. Like, they were never at Tiananmen. They were not protesters in China. And in fact, they only heard about um, Tiananmen, I think, because they were um, already had left China at that point and I think saw it like on the news. Um, But um, because of this act, like, because their timing of leaving the country coincided with it, um, they were able to get um, a quicker path, um, which instead of just taking many more years or applications. Um, or needing someone here to sponsor them. Uh, They were just able to become um, citizens not that much long after. And by the time I grew up, um, or by the time I was born, my parents were living at San Jose at that time. And I think they had bought their first house. But um, once I had reached the age of four, they decided to move. And perhaps part of it was just a kind of just an aspect of their upward mobility of like wanting to buy a more expensive house perhaps but I think also was influenced by knowing that uh, there was supposed to be uh, very good public schools in Cupertino and uh, by this point there were a lot more Asian Americans and Asian immigrants living in the area where there hadn't been maybe a decade or two ago so they decided to buy a house in Cupertino in a school district that goes to uh, Monta Vista High School, which was just considered one of the top public schools in the state. So um, from there, like I, I, since I was already like five years old by the time I moved to Cupertino, um, I don't remember a whole lot of before then, but I do remember uh, Cupertino, and I feel that's what really um, was formulative to my uh, experience growing up. Um, it was, my impression was that it was mostly an upper middle class and wealthy suburb. Um, There were a pretty significant amount of Asian Americans. Um, I think, I would guess there were at least a third of the population, maybe half at that point. Um, And um, there were a handful of other people who I think now I can identify as like, oh, there were like Latinx students or like maybe a very few um, black students. But um, for the most part, the two most predominant groups were um, Asians and white folks. And I, interestingly, I, like, I feel like perhaps maybe a lot of my peers had more sense of their, like, ethnic pride or heritage than I did. Um, I don't really feel like I had that. And it's still something I feel kind of a sense of loss around. Um, Part of it might have just been, like, my parents weren't particularly, um, like, invested in trying to teach me uh, traditions or, like maybe cultural practices, but also, like, I wasn't sent to um, Chinese school on the weekend, unlike most of my peers. So um, I, instead, I I think I learned at a pretty young age that um, somehow maybe being perceived as white might lead to me being treated better. And so I actually recall that I was six or seven and intentionally was trying to not speak Shanghainese which was actually my first language and I thought like oh if I speak only English I'll be better at English and then um, I also remember just having like kind of fantasies at that time of like what if I was like a different person with a different name and like kind of an idolization of like blonde hair and blue eyes which like looking down now looking back on that now I feel pretty horrified but um, I think I just internalized a lot of like sense of like okay like as an asian person in east asian specifically I, i'm getting racialized a certain way and it's not um it's not the like the best position to be in somehow like even though i also grew up with a lot of um mentality of more almost like assertion that asians were superior because of like um every level of school that i went to had larger and larger proportion of Asians. Like my elementary school was considered to be one of the whiter schools in the district, but then like middle and high school were like very heavily Asian. Um, By the time I was in high school uh, for honors and AP classes, the classes were usually at least 95% Asian and whatever, like one or two, like white people might be in the group, like were sort of, there was jokes, like if white people did well in the school that they were honorary Asians or like had somehow surpassed their whiteness. Um, But I think uh, even then, like, I feel like there was this, there's some level of which, like, I myself had very, like, I had conflated a lot of things with, like, Asian cultures and kind of perceived it as, like, something that I should not want to be like. Um, For instance, I had this kind of notions that because of the people around me, I thought, like, oh, like, a lot of Asians are obsessed with just like making money or like prestige because of like wanting to work in like engineering or, or business or like only go to um, really prestigious colleges. And I, I don't really think like I, I, at that time was able to kind of dig deeper into that. And like, instead it just can ended up being more like, I felt like, Oh, I'm not like other Asians and like felt very like alienated, but also like this sorts of, this kind of sense of, like, thinking, like, it's better somehow if I, like, distance myself from what I perceive as being Asian. And, like, I think that even influenced a lot of, like, my thought process when I was actually, like, researching colleges to apply to, because I somehow felt like it was bad to be in a mostly Asian environment. And, I mean, there's always aspects of which, like, it may actually reflect, yeah, like, as a student, I didn't feel supported in the kind of interests or passions that I had. Like I definitely was um, more interested in like things like history or like psychology. And if it had been, if I'd known it existed, I probably would have really been drawn to something like sociology or ethnic studies, but I didn't know that, but I I just knew that my school was not supportive of those kinds of things. Like um, for instance, like I knew students who got approved to take two science classes in the same year. But when I asked to take, two languages in the same year, I was declined. Um, And I feel like that sort of thing, um, plus like I think I I did realize there was something really unsettling and like really unjust about um, how much money really played a role. Like I think um, my school would probably be described as a public-private school just because like it's technically a public school, but it is so expensive to live there that you do need to have a lot of money in general to be in the school district. And that's not true for everyone. Like there's definitely students whose families rented and really couldn't afford to live in in Cupertino. But, um, it's like, I think it's only like once I got to move out of Cupertino that I realized like how like unusual it was that like one, I felt like I didn't really see much impact of the great recession, um, in my community. And also, like, I didn't know about the Occupy movement at all. And I also um, did not realize that it was really that rare that um, students' families would typically pay for their kids to receive, like, um, private um, college counselors to help them apply to colleges, or SAT boot camps, or even just taking, like, a class like, say they're going to take AP biology, then they'll take, like, they'll pay a private company to basically take this class first, and then they'll, like, be prepared, I guess, to take it for real in school. So um, I think there's also this kind of, it definitely also made me feel like I wasn't experiencing whatever people thought was the general reputation of the Bay Area. Like when I would talk to people who were not from here and had moved here, they would often say stuff like, oh, this place is so progressive and diverse. And like, um, I often felt this strange sense of like, I couldn't really relate that much to what they were talking about. Because I just thought like, well, growing up, like I didn't feel that at all. I mean, for one thing, like there was a definitely a a strain of like what would be considered conservative in like us political terms like like just not only in like um maybe you know quote unquote fiscal policy but also like social policies like um i knew that when i prop 8 was on the ballot for um same-sex marriage in california that i not really knowing at that point um that homophobia existed. Like, I just kind of said to my friends, like, oh, like, if this was, if I could vote, I would vote no on it. And this provoked a real shocked reaction. And I think that kind of, I guess, played into how I perceive perhaps Cupertino, like, because, like, I think when I've lived in other parts of the Bay and talked to people who live in those other parts, they often didn't have that same experience of feeling like, So, because, like, they think, like, oh, this is just, like, a really, like, strongly Democrat bastion, and, like, Californian progressives are, like, somehow more left than the rest of the country, and um, I didn't feel like I experienced that, and so I think I still have this kind of conflicted feeling, because on one sense, one, one hand, I, like, I feel like I kind of fled that environment as soon as I was, and, like, didn't want to go back, because I felt like, like, perhaps I was feeling very repressed growing up. But also, at the same time, I, I still feel like my roots are in Cupertino. And I I wonder about, like, what it means for me to have the ability to, like, move to, like, other areas that are also, like, less expensive in living costs and have been more traditionally working class for even in the recent history. So, like, I feel like I'm, it's, it's a way in which I, I am contributing to, like, gentrification, even though I recognize that this is a it's a mass like systemic level issue it's not just merely individuals making choices but I um at the same time feel like perhaps a lot of my peers who had similar feelings of being like like muffled in Cupertino have probably also just tried to move away um but I don't know if maybe like especially since it's still something that feels near and dear to my heart that if it really like I should have instead be going back to where I grew up and like actually trying to like say something and, and and like try to change that environment there too because I don't want like other kids to grow up like as I did. Like there's, it just occurs to me like knowing, like personally having known people whose relatives committed suicide, but related to like academic stress related reasons, but also just um, like knowing that there's like Talk, hearing from more recent students and alumni that there's people are having very horrible traumatic experiences in the school system as well like it does make me feel like well I I feel like it's I've kind of shirked my responsibility I guess in, in like not trying to do something about it now
0: hmm, yeah that's I I yeah I know that you know when you filled out the survey one of the issues that you um really wanted to talk about was like grappling with your class privilege and um that's sort of something you just talked about I mean like it from I like I've never been to Cupertino but from how you've described it uh it seems very much like this bubble of wealth and um like I I I don't think you should think it like all of that responsibility of trying to change a place that has probably been like this for a long time like I don't think you should put that responsibility on your shoulders but I think it's pretty admirable that um, you sort of grew up in this sort of environment and um, probably a lot of people who grew up with you and who have grown up there uh, don't think along the same lines as you do and and are very complacent with where they are in terms of their class privilege and the like the toxicity in the environment whereas people like you like are a little more introspective when it comes to that so um I think it can be super easy to be complacent especially when you grow up in that sort of like relatively wealthy um area so uh yeah I mean I'm glad you're thinking about it um and I also have a couple of questions about what you said earlier, um, in terms of trying to assimilate into whiteness. And honestly, like I found that kind of surprising, especially since you grew up in like a place with a pretty significant, like Asian um, population. But when you talked about how you sort of conflated Asian-ness with like this preoccupation with wealth and like this academic toxicity, like, that makes a lot more sense. Um, but, d- like, what what do you, f- were there, like, particular events or experiences that you had early on, like, in elementary school that made you feel like you had to assimilate into whiteness? And do you feel like as the proportion of Asians grew um, as you progressed through school that you just felt, like, you wanted to distance yourself from your Asianness even more.
1: Yeah, I guess like that's maybe part of the reason that I kind of couldn't understand why I felt the way I did because I couldn't actually recall at least in early childhood that I had had any really negative experiences. But I mean, generally, I actually don't remember much from that period at all. So it's quite possible something happened and I just don't remember. But I do feel like there's, there's things I might have probably picked up on even from like, My parents, for instance, like knowing that my dad intentionally had changed his name to an Anglo name um, when he moved to the U.S. because like he would say stuff like, you know, when in Rome, do as the Romans do. And like what my parents mean by that is like America or the USA is a white people's country and that's not going to change and you need to play by those rules, basically. Um, I think there's kind of like those messages come through from my parents in terms of like saying like, oh, actually like we did face racism here, but like there's nothing we can do to change that. And so the best thing we can do instead is just try to get as much money as possible. And, um, I guess, insulate ourselves from the worst of it in that way. But I, yeah, I think also just like, I remember my parents said that when I was, um, starting elementary school that, and maybe also in preschool that I was, um, I definitely, like, actually used to cry all the time in preschool in the beginning because, like, I couldn't understand what anyone was saying because I didn't know English, unlike most of my peers there. So um, my parents would actually, like, have to, you know, leave work early or whatever and pick me up because I was just, like, inconsolable. But I think, um, yeah, they said also that maybe my kindergarten teacher actually said also that, well, like, it seemed like I perhaps, like, my mind was obviously, like, working, but, like, I didn't seem to be able to understand the concepts or, like, words that people were saying, because I just didn't know um, enough English at that point, and I think, like, I mean, I kind of reached more of a maybe breakthrough with that in, in first grade when I got more into reading, and I was introduced to, like, Magic Treehouse books from my teacher, but, like, um, and from there, like, I definitely just developed a lot of interest in like writing and reading and like from there also just saw like that was something that I could get praised for if I like did well in school at it but um, I think like I don't know if I I was really consciously aware of this in elementary school but I did know definitely by high school that um, whiteness was seen as desirable even in the context of like white people being perceived as so like less smart or less hardworking but at the same time people would like I had friends who definitely would talk about like oh like they're like I have a thing for like white guys or like which at the time I just thought oh they're just like it's like almost like white people are exotic because they're a minority here but like but I think it's not just that like there's also like this level of like I don't know like valorization of like more like physical features that are considered white and also like I noticed that even in a school with 70 something percent Asian students that um, in the like elected positions for like student leadership which were we we knew they were basically just popularity contests like it was a lot of white students in there like much more than the population um, and I also just had other friends who would say stuff like um, one of them said that she thought that like the most attractive people were mixed white and Asian people. So I think there's like probably some love of those messages must have come through when I was young. But I yeah, and like I don't know like how it was that I got this idea that I shouldn't speak like any like non-English language that might make me seem like I'm a foreigner. But like I feel like I only made that connection more in college because of like having people like perceive me as like a tourist or assume i was an international student and like realizing like wow like i have this part of my like i somehow have this sense of identity invested in being like i I don't know i don't like to say american but i guess to some extent it is like this idea like oh i'm from here and like i'm not like what they think I am but like I ended up questioning too. like even thinking about like is there something wrong with like how I speak English like is this why like people keep assuming that I am not I'm somehow an outsider and um, and I, I realized like also that I had this sort of pride but also defensiveness of like feeling like oh I like learned English primarily through reading books and not like or like playing video games and not so much from like being taught it in my like environment that I grew up so I just at some point I think I realized like oh wait it like also just the fact that I was trying at a young age to like shed any like signs of Asian-ness like I think kind of like even then I I, like I feel like it just took me a long time to see like oh yeah like based on my life experience it doesn't really matter what I do ultimately like I'm still going to be treated like a certain way because of how people are racializing me. And sometimes that happens from like fellow Asians as well. Like I just have had people like assume that I'm naturally good at math. Um, and that was always a cause of like frustration for me because I felt like they didn't see how much, like, like I might be spending four or five times as much time studying for math because I struggled with it as opposed to other subjects that I could more easily pick up. But, um, what people would only take away from that was just like, Oh no, you're just good at it. And like, it would often, feel like it didn't really matter what I was interested in or like any sort of like things that I felt like were more um, like felt closer to me to like, like things that I might just feel more of an instinctive um, affinity for. It didn't really seem like there was space for that. Like, and I, I just felt like um, it, I mean, there, I feel like that's pro- probably why I would get really attached to teachers sometimes because Um, say, for example, like, my French teacher in high school, like, definitely, I think, kind of saw me as one of the better students. And I felt really, like, I guess, validated by that, maybe not only because, like, I lacked more of a, like, healthy, supportive relationship at home, but also just, like, thinking, like, oh, this is finally a setting in which, like, someone is seeing that, like, I am passionate about something, and I'm, like, becoming good at it, and, like, And in most settings, I didn't feel like I had that. Um, And that is, like, I also, like, now I remember, like, because of, like, having heard experiences from, like, other people who went to my school district, like, yeah, like, there were just times when, like, I had white teachers who would, like, just make, like, racist jokes, like, saying, like, oh, like, like, when students are, like, passing up their tests to hand to him and, like, he would say, like, oh, it looks like you're bowing down to the white man, like, or, like, just, like, hearing that like some other teacher like and he himself was like married to a Japanese American woman but like saying like I heard from other East Asian students that he had made fun of them for their eye shape and like said like oh you can't like see out of that and it was just like kind of jarring to me but like also thinking like oh it's not even surprising somehow I think it's just like um realizing like it doesn't really mean much actually like in one one sense like yeah maybe having more exposure to like if, if you were a white person and, like, grew up around people of color, perhaps, like, you would have that more personal knowledge or to, like, not just see someone through, like, a very limited characterization. But um, at the same time, I feel like just having that environment actually doesn't really do much, like, fundamentally to change, like, the ultimate, like, white supremacist, like, structure that still gets upheld. Like, I think... Um, looking back, like, I wish I'd had more um, other perspectives, I guess, of, like, even just to say, like, look at history through a different lens, perhaps, because, like, I can also recall that, like, even kind of half-consciously, I was trying to seek something, like, some way to, like, actually really see myself, I think, not only just as being represented, but also as, like, having agency and not just being, like, kind of always in this, like, quasi, like, valorized, but also detested, like, status of, I, I guess people usually call it a model minority, but I just, um, yeah, I remember that even I tried to um, take, a, I chose contemporary lit as one of my um, options for a mandatory English class in high school, because I was, it was advertised to me as, like, oh, we're actually going to have some, you know, units where, like, we have, like, books by like people of color or talking about lgbtq characters and i was really interested in that because i heard that they were gonna read m butterfly which is like more of a subversive like take on the madam butterfly story but like then when i actually got into the class i was put into the one by a teacher who doesn't typically teach that class and she of course chose to like slash the units on lgbtq and like like also any like things by people of color and like I I feel like there's just other ways that um there's something being like normalized in school that isn't really getting um addressed explicitly like I for instance remember that teacher um when we were reading one of the books in class like asked a question to have a students answer that um, actually required knowledge of um, Christianity to answer. And she seemed to expect that we would know it, even though this was a class that a lot of people's families were like atheist or like maybe something else like Hindu or even Muslim. So I just like, and I think also like I noticed at some point in high school that um, like I realized like, oh, there actually are like more like non-Asian student of colors students of color in my um, school that I like have never ever taken a class with I don't know their names I've never spoken to them because like we've been already from a pretty young age like I think in elementary school was when I had to take a test to determine if I was going to be put in advanced math or like the regular track so like I from that age have basically been funneled into a different like group where like I interact only with that bubble and it is like actually very like those tracks were very much along race and class lines, but like it was always kind of just sort of subsumed under this idea of like, oh, these are the people who are academically prepared and these are the like high performing students. And I and it's weird because it was kind of like internalized to like where students who like including myself felt like, oh, I'm not taking enough AP classes, like I'm not doing well in school, but like really like the whole, standards were set very high just the same way like i realize now like oh i should not have kind of like it's not normal for people's families to have like two million dollar homes like that's not actually even necessarily the experience of most people in my area but it just seems that way when you're like you're already kind of in a little segregated section even um in a supposedly diverse environment
0: Right. So you're grappling with all of this, all of these different issues and um, all of these like different, in my mind, like pretty toxic uh, experiences and situations. So how how was your mental health overall um, throughout like elementary, middle, high school as you were grappling with um, all of these different situations And also on top of that like, thinking about your relationship with your, uh, like your queer identity and, um, your racial identity as well.
1: I recall that it, I was probably still pretty young, like nine or so when I could first, um, recall that I was feeling really depressed and anxious. Uh, I think that has to do somewhat with like timing of things in my life. Like say, like I started having puberty, quite a bit earlier than most of my peers. And I I really didn't, at that point, like, even just putting aside that, like, sex ed in U.S. public schools is pretty terrible. But, like, even by those standards, like, yeah, I didn't receive any of that education in time before, like, I started having puberty. And I didn't really understand fully what was happening. um, And, like, my parents weren't really inclined to talk to me about it because they didn't really know that much either aside from the whole like, okay, like, you know, you got your period and okay, like, you know, you wear these pads now, that's it. Um, But like, I remembered also like, yeah, my home environment wasn't that great. Like, I didn't really know that there was anything unhealthy about it just because I just thought like, well, like, you know, most parents probably fight a lot. Like, yeah, like my dad throws and breaks things and i'm i'm afraid of raised voices or like um or like i feel like my parents don't love me but i i I just thought from like my peers that like that was typical um and i know that like my mom also like broke her foot um i think when i was nine and she was really like stressed out by it i think but like what that turned into was more like she would um I guess be taking out that frustration on me so like I would recall like that at some point like I was practicing piano and then I think she like was saying really mean things to me and and I I couldn't like understand why and I feel like there was a lot of that happening and then like by the time I was 10 um like I think also just like the academic expectations had already started pretty early. So like by the time I was 10 years old, like people were already telling me like, oh, you have to like get into Stanford. Like we're expecting that from you, um, even from my own teacher. And on one hand, I sort of thought like, oh, this is a good thing, right? Like people think I'm a good student. They think I'm smart. They think I'm gonna go far in life. And like, and, but I also think that really set up expectations for me that led me to become very perfectionistic, and soon learned that I couldn't actually keep that bar meeting that bar over and over because like, um, I, I feel like from there, like it turned into like academic stuff became extremely, um, like it felt like everything like in the world somehow rested on like whether I could get all A's and anytime that I deviated from that, I felt like I was a failure. So I think, um, also just like me having that, like, already contentious relationship with my mom like led to more like because she was also like didn't like my parents are are pretty helicoptery overall and did not trust me to like walk home alone so like they would have me walk home with someone else and then like I had to call my mom every day um to confirm that I I got home but like during during those times I would also I guess uh, try to vent my frustration of like or like fear around getting like bad grades but um never really felt like I got, I guess, some sort of, I guess I was seeking some kind of emotional support from that, but didn't really receive it, um, but I didn't really feel like I had a social support system, because, like, I, I didn't have siblings, and, like, um, then when I was 10, like, one of my longtime friends moved away, and, like, I kind of realized then, like, um, and part of it was just because, like, I had been a pretty shitty, like, arrogant and narcissistic person to friends in my life earlier like i think i it had gone to my head before like this being told at a young age that i was a gifted kid like i I just kind of thought like oh yeah like i'm good at everything and like other people suck and um so i i think in some sense yeah i did drive away some of my other friends but like that anyway like by the time i was 10 like a lot of my other friends had become closer to other friend groups and so i didn't really have like go-to people that I could just spend time with at school. So, um, I definitely became a lot more, um, reclusive, but, and was reading books, but more out of just loneliness, um, at that point. Um, but I, I also just recalled, like, I, I started getting bullied by another student and I didn't really understand it, but I, the time I just thought, like, this is some kind of, like, karmic payback because, like, I had also bullied someone before, so I just thought, like, this is, I had this coming, um, so I didn't say anything for a long time, um, but, um, I think just, like, this person also, like, would point to, like, my developing chest as, like, um, something to make fun of, which I was feeling, like, more, like, vividly, I guess, thinking, like, well, my body is, like, making me look like a woman or whatever, and this is not, like, I didn't feel ready for that, both, like, in emotional maturity, and then, like, now looking back, I'm, like, yeah, I also just realized, like, oh, like, uh, maybe I already had some kind of gender dysphoria at that age. Um, And I definitely just have, like, huge issues even now with, like, body dysmorphia. Like, I still struggle with, like, eating disorders. And, like, I feel like a lot of my low self-esteem is also tied to, like, aspects of my appearance that I, I have no way to change, like, my height. So I think there's a lot of, like, I have conflicted feelings now even just, like, wishing that at at my age, someone had bothered to, like, even a doctor had, like, talked to me or something, like, um, like, I I didn't even know, like, that I had, like, depression or anxiety at a young age, because I just, I didn't have language for that. I just thought, like, when I tried to describe things, like, oh, like, I don't enjoy life, or, like, I don't understand the meaning of it, or, like, I don't want to be alive, like, I think my parents just didn't really know what to make of it, and, my mom especially kind of just didn't really get it. So she was just like, oh, like just make up your mind to be happy and like she didn't really understand why I felt that much pain about when when there was no clear cause to any of us that like, I don't know. I, I think also just the whole like probably class privilege and being like a kid of Asian immigrants played into because my parents sort of, would, my dad would say like, oh, like, you know, rich white people, like they get depressed because they don't have real problems. Um, Unlike, you know, people like us who like went through poverty. So I think like, um, and they also just sort of saw like mental health care as being like a white people thing. And like, I think there's like criticisms that could be made in those lines, but I think also it's just pretty damaging because then it just becomes a more like, oh, like, you know, you can't seek out that help because it's not it's not meant for you or like, or what you're experiencing isn't really real and you have to like suck it up because that's just part of your, like how your life's supposed to be. Um And I, yeah, like I, I do wish like at least that like now that I know like youth are having an option to have things like puberty blockers, like I don't think that was a common thing when I was a kid, but I'm think like, oh, it would have been great if I could have had that, like just to have had more time to, to like think about what I wanted to happen. Maybe I would have, had my body develop in a different way if i had the option but um i yeah I, I think by the time at least when i was in high school or college I, I sort of had some basic awareness that there's a such thing as mental illness but i still felt a deep level of like shame about it because like it's probably one of those like everyone looks like a, a duck peacefully on the water from when you're looking from above the surface but then below the surface like everyone is like fiercely paddling, and I think that's probably the case for, like, like my environment that I grew up in, like, that I always just thought other people weren't struggling, and I, I couldn't understand, like, why am I, like, suicidal, and, like, why am I feeling like I can't keep up, and, like, why am I, like, having such bad test anxiety that I'm getting Fs because I can't write something in a timed test, like, I just sort of thought of it as, like, oh, there's just something really wrong with me, and, like, I'm failing in all these ways, um, like, I can't, like manage to live up to this expectation that I'm supposed to be like a really high achiever so I feel like it was very it's also damaging in other ways like I feel like because of that like I had this um perhaps lack of like I feel like I have this sort of something like imposter syndrome to this day but also like I think it can come off really as me disrespecting other people as well because of like if I don't think that I'm doing well and like I'm getting like really high grades or like I go to like what's supposed to be a top university and then other people feel like wow like you just think also that this doesn't mean anything like for those of us who actually this is our dream or something that we're still trying to achieve
0: Hmm. so yeah and then and then um you you go to Berkeley right and um was was that a completely different environment for you compared to Cupertino and how how do you feel like Berkeley and the people there changed the way you identified, the way you viewed yourself, and, and the way you thought about um, issues like your class privilege and your relationship with your um, Asian, disabled, and uh, LGBTQ identities?
1: Yeah, like going to college, I actually expected because like i knew a ton of people from my high school went to uc berkeley and so i've i kind of just perceived based on that that i i just thought like oh you everyone in uc berkeley is like that like everyone just studies like electrical engineering computer science or like business or they're pre-med like i didn't really even know like that berkeley as a city and also as a university had this reputation for like social movements and like an active protest culture. So like I was actually pretty shocked when I came to campus to find that. Um, but I mean, there's also like just other things that are like quirky, perhaps, or like just particular to certain schools that I don't, I didn't really know of, like, I think maybe because I, I grew up in an atheist family that I didn't really like, I was not prepared for like the level of um, particularly like Christian clubs on school that were going to try to recruit me as a member, for instance. Um, And I I couldn't identify that sometimes until like, I was already like being invited to go to like, a church service. And I was like, wait a minute. Um, But I think, um, yeah, it was like, on one hand, I think I ended up being pleasantly surprised in some ways, because like, I just thought like, I had this really very limited characterization of UC Berkeley. And I didn't realize that, well, it's such a big campus that actually there are a huge variety of people's both like political views and like what kind of extracurriculars they do and like even like their orientation toward the university and like whether they're like i guess more like engaging with it because they think it's inherently flawed or more like because or they're just like more like oh we're trying to get like you know a top quality education or whatever um but yeah i didn't also realize i guess because there's such a huge student body as well like yeah, there is a significant amount of Asian students, but um, definitely, like, well, that's, this is one of my first experiences of being around a lot of white people, but also, like, around, like, to some extent as well, like, Latinx and and then very few, like, Black and Native students um, on the campus, but I um, definitely got exposed more to, like, a huge range and, like, and realizing, like, how My class privilege came in because of like my first year I had applied to live in the Unity LGBTQ um, theme house. And so um, this was one of my first experiences being like, well, one, like being part of a minority in terms of like being Asian, because like there were just maybe um, two other people I think who were Asian on the floor. And this was out of like probably 20 something or 30 um, people. So I'd never been part of that small minority um, ethnically, but also, um, definitely, like, there was, I think, a certain, like, dynamic came up that is both, like, class and race related, like, in, um, the mandatory, like, seminar that our floor would do together in the first, um, semester, and this was kind of more to get everyone on the same page about, like, things like LGBTQ history and, like, common issues and, like, to have us also just build more relationships with each other, but, like, um, some of the, I remember, like, first-generation Latinx students were saying, like, the the white people in the group were just throwing around certain terms about, like, gender and sexuality and kind of assuming that everyone knew them. And then they were saying, like, hey, like, growing up, like, we didn't have, like, you know, the time to just spend going on Tumblr to, like, learn all these terms. Like, um, and I think for me, it was a little realizing because like I think the other student of co- students of color on this floor did largely see me as one of them but like they kind of assumed that I also came I think from that same sort of environment maybe um so that I realized like whoa actually I I haven't had any issue with like understanding what people are talking about because I had all that knowledge like I actually did have like you know ability to have leisure time and I had internet at home like I didn't I I, I was able to like just spend time like learning that stuff on my own Um, and also just like realizing yeah like even with other white students like some of them came from like very like poor working class backgrounds so like realizing like oh like not everyone here is familiar with actually how to use an academic database or like doesn't have experience using google drive like I those were things like I learned in k-12 through that I didn't know that were actually maybe exceptional rather than norm Um, and yeah, I think also just, like, I did realize on some level that I, need, like, needed spaces that could hold, like, all the different identities I had, because, like, I had kind of hesitation about going to Berkeley, and I'd chosen it for a variety of reasons, like, thinking, like, well, it was the cheapest option as an in-state student, but also, like, knew my parents wanted me to stay, at, like, near home, and, like, I kind of thought, like, after growing up hearing my parents always talk about, like, others, like, people my age who went to, like, prestigious universities, I kind of felt this obligation of, like, well, I should pick the one that, like, supposed to be the best, so that, like, it'll it'll make them look good, or, like, something like that, but um, when I was visiting Berkeley, um, I I saw they actually had um, groups tabling, and they were actually, like, LGBTQ, like, Um, groups that were specific for certain like people of color so like say there was Cal queer and Asian and I was really actually like wow like I didn't expect that this would exist like for me like I came from a school where the GSA was like very small and you know most students there were were not out to the point that like even like um, the journalism club like they actually had to interview me um which is a vi- violation of their own rules they're not supposed to talk to people in yearbook book because it's like considered cheating due to our like we already kind of have a close relationship but like they couldn't find enough students in this school of 2400 people who were actually out and willing to talk about it in a article for the school newspaper so um like yeah, I came from that sort of environment where, like, I was actually even afraid to come out as a quote-unquote ally for many years, because I just thought, like, oh, if I just, like, join the day of silence or whatever, people are just gonna assume I'm gay and, like, talk shit about me, and, I mean, then, then to go to, like, a place where it's, like, wow, you have, like, five or ten different, like, LGBTQ clubs, like, and there are ones that are really, like, for particular, like, people of color, like, I didn't, I, I think it, 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 I, on some level, I grasped that I needed that. And that sort of got more reinforced when I, not only in my classes where like, when I was taking psych or like other social science classes, I was often in a minority of any like people of color, but also like going to like clubs, like say the trans student org, like it was mostly white, both in the attendees, but also in just like how comfortable people felt just taking up space there, like of just speaking up and like, kind of assuming that like, they had they had this kind of confidence that i envied that like what they had to say was compelling or should be shared or like that people should hear it and and not really like waiting to to like see if other people wanted to speak first um and i guess that made me like like those kind of experiences um and like also just like just cuz like through one of these um i think the Calcarean Asian i met someone who was an older student who um, like they were also Chinese American, but like they're, they came from a poor background and they were first generation. And they were also very like proudly and openly identifying as like queer, trans and neurodivergent and disabled and also like polyamorous. So I think through this, and they're also like on the ACE spectrum as well, which was something at that point I didn't realize I was on. So like, I think just through interacting with this person, I started to question more of like assumptions that I had about myself and like realizing like oh wait like this isn't just like I'm just like a weak person or like or maybe something in my experience of sexuality is like not normative like I think those um getting to know people like that really led me to understand or like come to realizations of say that like I had disabilities too like I didn't I had not really known to frame it in that way because i just saw it as like i'm just an individual who can't keep up and like there's just something wrong with me i don't try hard enough um but i think also like experiences like not only maybe being outside of like more of like an like asian upper class bubble but like just like being around like a lot of white people i think made me more aware of like differences in like how we even, like, participated in in school, like, because I was being graded on participation and realizing, like, not only do I have social anxiety, but I think I have all these, like, ideas of, like, well, like, I should only speak if I know I'm right, or if something I have to say is very, like, valuable, and I didn't actually really believe that most of the time I had valuable things to say, but, like, noticing that difference and seeing, like, how in most environments I was in, it was white students who most routinely felt, like, they, they they just had almost an entitlement, I guess, to, to speak up, but um, also just, like, those experiences of, like, having, like, even when I was trying to seek support for things on campus, like, I was wanting, like, emotional support and also, like, advice um, because of, like, I had learned from talking to other non-binary people that it was possible for me to also get um, hormones, and I was interested in trying them, and my uh, parents, when I had told them that, like, were really opposed to it, and, like, really, like, deeply upset, and were, like, very convinced that it would just destroy my life, and, like, like that I, they, they were, like, willing to go to ex- extremes in order to prevent me from doing it, um, and so, like, I, I went and tried to find staff on campus, like, counselors and stuff to talk to, and one of the staff I talked to um, was white, but he's also, like, one of the few transgender, Um, staff there so I I thought like oh this person might be able to help me but I remembered like one of the first things he asked me was are you an international student and like I at the time I was really taken aback like I, I sort of had all this like well I had to like work through my own like negative attitudes toward like the idea of being seen as an international student but also like looking back I might have just misinterpreted like it's it could be he was asking for logistical reasons to like you know, know, like, oh, like, what, how would your options be affected if you tried to, like, financially emancipate yourself or something? But, but I also am, there's a part of me that just kind of felt like I was being asked to this, in, in, at least in part because I am Chinese and, like, that maybe if I was, like, white or something, they wouldn't have even thought to ask it. um And I, I think, like, that and also just things of, like, being, called derogatorily like a a tourist when I was on my own campus and like just like I think those sorts of things kind of led me to actually like for the first time actually identify more explicitly as Chinese American or Asian American But even then like I feel like it was coming from a different place than a lot of other students like even when I would go to like um queer and Asian meetings I, I sometimes I couldn't really relate to the experiences people described um And I felt a sense of, like, this envy or, like, that I was missing something because I didn't have this, like, internal sense of, like, belonging in an ethnic community. Um, So I feel like when I've started using those more, like, actually saying, like, oh, yeah, I'm Asian American, that it came more from a place of, like, this is how I'm being perceived and treated by the world. And so, like, I must, like operate accordingly like i am being racialized this way and that's that's what is defining my experience and not so much my actual like feelings about having an affinity for that but i also just because like i ended up learning in college more about like the history of like organizing by like um, both asian american and other students um in like the third world liberation front and fighting for ethnic studies on campus like that there was um there was actually like this history of like creating this term Asian American as a a source of like unity or solidarity for like otherwise disparate people to like fight against like I guess their common enemy and I think like um that history is something that I really like feel more of a, a real interest in like tapping into and like wanting to like see like how can I like also embody that in my experience now like decades after that like, those movements were first happening, like, um, but I, I feel like that, that nuance is not something that could really be communicated by just saying, like, ticking a box for my, like, race on a form, like, because I think, like, a lot of times, like, the, those terms, like, Asian American have been, become more of, like, a demographic characteristic, or just, like, a description of some group of countries, or, or cultural, things in common and and not so much like pointing to like actually this was like this term is not just meant to like erase all of our differences perhaps or to like just obscure the disparities within our umbrella like it's more like this term was supposed to to serve an actual like political function like it's not um but i feel like in in some ways that has been very it's been defanged, um and i I yeah I, I just I feel like now like I have more of a deeper perhaps like feeling of like yes like this is something I want to like put as a forefront of my identity and it's still like because of how I'm being racialized but I think like it's more like it feels to me like important to name that because like I didn't really it took me many years to figure out how like actually race was very much like shaping my experience because like in my first time like looking for a therapist like I kind of just thought like oh I I need to find someone who's you know familiar with working with trans people and I didn't really think about like anything else beyond that and then it was more through that experience and like feeling like this person is not able to really understand like more the nuance of like for instance like she would always try to like when i talked about those conflicts i was having with my parents she would always try to fit it into this like east collectivist versus west individualist binary and i felt like she didn't really get like maybe like why like using language about like this is my identity and i have bodily autonomy it wasn't going to work with trying to like talk to my parents and i now feel like like because of that I ended up deciding like I want to seek a person of color as a therapist because I felt like maybe they would get certain things and and also just realizing like in so many environments I was really censoring myself because I was afraid of like white people taking it personally if I expressed some kind of frustration um and I think it was really helpful like to have both like to finally be able to like see therapists of color who like really kind of got certain things like that I didn't have to explain or like were able to like because of their personal experience like contribute their like I guess a- another perspective on it or like um or be able to like seem to like actually empathize more um I think that has been really like I did not really realize that it would have that much of a healing impact to have that at least um and um I also just feel like um it's like just trying to seek friend groups more based on that or like other organizations for that like I've definitely noticed the sort of difference um in just like maybe the level of like complexity maybe that people can deal with or like being able to understand sometimes there is no real winning outcome like there is a lot of just situations where you just kind of have shitty choices of um and I, and, and I just felt like maybe that when I've been able to talk to like other Asian American or like Asian immigrant folks, like there's more understanding of those things that sometimes might seem to other people like, oh, this is so trivial, but like, but for maybe that people grasp somehow more how these microaggressions actually are, are part of a bigger picture.
0: Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to part one of my interview with Sydney. I hope you learned a lot about their upbringing and transition to Berkeley. And it definitely sets some context for what they're going to talk about in part two. So tune in next Saturday for that to hear more about their time at Berkeley, invisible disabilities, their work at the international students office and more. After part two, it'll be Homecoming's season two finale. Thank you so much for sticking around and I will see you next week.